Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're listening today, and I have a very special guest that I think you'll be very excited to hear and, and very interested in what's happening internationally in our world. And this is John Padaiti, and he is the son of Dr. Rochanda Padaiti and was named the president of Bible for the World in May 2015. Previously, in 2000, as far back as 2006, he was vice president for international ministries. He's also served um, for seven years as the executive vice president and COO and CFO of Bible for the World's Colorado Springs headquarters. Now, he was installed as the president in 2015, which was succeeding his parents to lead the ministry for upcoming decades. And he oversees these ministry activities both in India and around the world. And John is also an award-winning filmmaker and is passionate about appropriating new technologies and sustainable development to help advance the cause of Christ he also served on the board of reference for the Christian Film and Television Commission, which is really amazing, and received a BA in philosophy and art history from Wheaton College. And he spends several months each year in India with his wife, Lam, and his son, Joshua, and daughter, Hannah. But he also calls Colorado Springs his home. So I'm really excited to have you get to know him and what they are doing. Let me just tell you a little bit about... Um, Bibles for the World. This has distributed millions of Gospels of John, New Testaments, full Bibles, and other scripture portions to 123 nations in the world. And besides Bible distribution efforts, they are committed to Christian education and the compassionate care, having established hospitals, dozens of elementary and secondary schools, colleges, and seminaries in Northeast India. Amazing. So thank you, John, so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Cynthia. It's an honor and a pleasure to be uh, with you here today. Well, you know, tell us some about, you know, your story, because that, I I didn't want to say that right away, because that is such an amazing story as to how you became a Christian growing up in India. Mm -hmm. Well, it is really amazing, and and just the way God works, His divine plan is just astounding at times, but... uh, I come from a tribe of people who, at the turn of the 20th century, when the British were ruling India, we were known as one of the fiercest, most savage headhunting tribes in all of the British Empire, which pretty much was all of the world at that time. Right. And uh, we had uh, this picked up this history this, as part of our culture as we had migrated down from perhaps from southwest China. Our history is not that well known because nothing was written. But as we came into contact with the British, we became known as a headhunting tribe. Now, um, it, it connects here with the Great Welsh Revival of 1904 to 1906, where a young man, he was probably 18, 17, 18 years old, um, committed his life to Christ and ended up coming to India as a missionary to work alongside a medical missionary who came up into our region. 
while that young missionary at the time now in 1910 he was 22 years old the uh the uh, gospel of john had been translated into a neighboring language of ours and so this young missionary watkin roberts bought copies of that new gospel of john and sent it to the chiefs of all the villages in our area my goodness and one of those Gospels of John came to my grandfather's village, the chief of my grandfather's village. So the people there, of course, at the time, they couldn't read. They didn't really understand it, but they knew it had to be something important. Right. So they sent the message back through the mail runner and said, please, sir, please come and explain the meaning of this book. Well, when uh, Watkin Roberts received that message, for him it was like the Macedonian call. Right. Somebody saying, please come and share the gospel with us. And so he went to the British authorities and asked them for permission to travel up into the hills into our area, to, to my grandfather's village. And, of course, they refused him. They said, you, if you go up there, you're, you're sure to get your head chopped right, off. Right, right. So he snuck up into the hills and was uh, took a more than seven-day journey through the jungle and made it to our village and was able to stay there five days. And in those five days, the Holy Spirit spoke through him, and he was able to share through interpreters the message of the gospel, how God has sent Jesus as the boundary line sacrifice between him and man, and and how Jesus' blood was shed, giving us salvation and eternal life that is and that is amazing from the, it is amazing because from that first from that first and only visit five young men gave their hearts to christ and my grandfather was one of them and he was the chief no my grandfather wasn't the chief he was just a young young oh, man I see. at the okay. time he would have been perhaps 14 15 years old maybe a headhunter in training one of the right. young men of the village but he was one of those who gave his heart to Christ. And that missionary, Watkin Roberts, he left saying, I'll come back. And when he got back to the British fort, they were so upset with him, they kicked him out of the district. Eventually he was kicked out of the state and out of India altogether as he continued to try to work with us and help those early Christians. But, you know, Cynthia, the, the seed of the gospel had been planted among our people. And from those five young Christians, it spread from hut to hut, from village to village, all across our people group. We were, at that time, a completely unreached people group. I know there's a lot of focus today on unreached people groups, UUPGs, UPGs, and we were one of those. But within a relatively short time, within my grandfather's generation, the entire tribe was evangelist. We were 100% evangelized in that time. Wow, oh my goodness. And not only that, but our people took the gospel to at least a half dozen other neighboring tribes during those early years. We know that, you know, in our area, the, the Japanese invaded this area during World War II. That was about 1942. And so between 1910 and 1942, our entire tribe was evangelized because by the time the Japanese came, we know that we were fully evangelized. 
what's amazing is, even more amazing is, all we had was that Gospel of John in the neighboring language. It wasn't even in our language yet. I, I, it's, I, it's astounding how the Holy Spirit can work and how his timing, he, he knows the exact time to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you know, we know that the, that neighboring language had the, the whole New Testament only in 1938. And my grandfather preached from that Gospel of John almost exclusively for at least 20 years. But it was in that time that a, a majority of our tribe, of our people group, was reached with the gospel. How, how did it change the tribe in terms of lifestyle? I mean, obviously, they, you weren't headhunting anymore, but did, did it increase? Uh, was it a, safer, more uh, prolific, more um, successful after the, after the gospel came? You know, Cynthia, we have experienced a complete transformation our entire tribe, our people group, and the people of this area because of the gospel coming. I mean, as you mentioned, of course, we stopped headhunting. We started heart-hunting for Jesus Christ. <laughs> that became our primary motive. And also, we started desire for education. Um, there's just so many things. There used to be suicide. There used to be slavery in our tribe, things like this. These were all abolished as the gospel came in, and and the suicide rates, you know, dropped almost to zero. Right. There's so many things like this that, on a social level, that improve all the way down to cleanliness and hygiene. Exactly. It's just amazing, because if you travel into our area, it's just a completely different part of the world than the rest of India. It's, it, it's visitors that we have to come up and see our ministry always comment on that. We can't believe how different it is here. And it's part of that because of that complete transforming power of the gospel. Uh, it's it's staggering. Now you so you grew up when it was a Christian tribe then. Right, right. In okay. fact, my father was dedicated by my grandparents to translate the Bible into our own language. We wow. had it in this neighboring language. It was about sixty sixty five percent similar with our language. But it still wasn't our our own language, our heart language, and so this led Dad on a journey out of these remote that remote village to other parts of India, eventually to Scotland, and then all the way to the United States in pursuit of that dream to get the education needed so he could translate the Bible into our own language. You know, it's it's a I'm always amazed at how God can speak through languages because. You know, you can be speaking the same language and people don't even get what you're saying. And then, mm. you, know, I, you know, I've gone to Uganda, Uganda to Kampala four times, mm. and, and I can speak through an interpreter, and then the interpreter has to speak to another interpreter, and they get it. They uh-huh. get the gospel. It, it's, it's amazing how it works. It really, it really is. But at the same time, when you know God speaks your mm-hmm. language, what an incredible feeling. What an incredible reassurance to know that there's a God out there who speaks your language, exactly. to hear His Word, His promises, His love for you in your own language. There's nothing, you know, that can transcend that. Uh, I'm so excited to talk more about this. We're going to come up on a break. 
So, uh, listeners, I, w- I want to make sure that you come back with us after this, one, this break um, and you can hear more of John's story and the story of his family and the story of India. It, it's just absolutely so inspiring how God, how God moves. And then we're going to learn more about his organization and what they're a- actually doing for Christians all over the world. And so, I'm, John, I'm so excited that you're here today. And I want to make sure that that you know that we're also going to be praying for you and the work that you do in oh, your organization, you. for sure. Um, because this is quite exciting. And, and it's, it's amazing to be in these times when we see God moving all the way, mm-hmm. all around the world. So join us again in the next break. We have a couple of uh, commercials. We're coming back, and we'll talk more with John Padaiti. Welcome back to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And we have a very special guest with us today, John Padaiti. He is the president and CEO of Bibles for the World. And we've been talking about his story. So if you haven't, if you're just joining us, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and you can listen to this uh, interview in its entirety because it is quite fascinating. So, John, thank you for being with us again. And, t- you, you know, you and I talked a little bit off air about just y- your father's story, because he's the one that really translated the Bible, right? Or the book of John. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us more about his journey. Well, let me tell you, it's it's just amazing just that, you know, Dad came out of that mountain village. It's in a remote part of India that to this day still doesn't have a blacktop road, still doesn't have electric lines. But that's where God chose to plant the seed of the gospel among our people. And, you know, as I mentioned, my grandfather was one of those early Christians, and he and my grandmother dedicated my father to translating the Bible so the people would have it in their own language. And so that led Dad on this journey out of the mountains to be one of, to be really the first student from our um, tribe to go out and study and he did uh, his high school as well as uh, college, junior college, and then uh, university in India. And how, how did he get way, how did he get out of the mountains into schooling? Well, when he was a boy, he was ten years old when he first went away to school. Wow. And he had to walk five days oh. through the jungles to get to the nearest school. It was ninety six miles away. And so he took that journey by himself a couple times a year, you know, and he would go, and he was only 10 years old, and he would take that journey and stay there at the, at the mission school. But that was the nearest school to, our, to, my, to my grandfather, to my father's village at the time. My goodness. 10 years old journeying five days through a jungle by himself. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's amazing. The great, I've yes. traveled through those jungles. <laughs> I've traveled through those jungles as I've been over there in India for the ministry, and it's just amazing. It amazes me to this day the, the, the courage and the determination, you know, and that was just completely spurred on by this, this amazing how captivated they, the people were by the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, that it just spurred them on to do incredible things like that. Well, because we know the truth sets us free. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's in so inspiring. And when you hear the love of God 
through your own language. That's, um, and you hear God's voice yourself, and it's, it's so transforming. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And just that obedience to God's mm-hmm. voice. I mean, you know, along the way, Dad met um, Dr. Bob Pierce, who went on to found World Vision and Samaritan's Purse. But at the time, he was um, part of the Youth for Christ International team, and Dad was able to meet with him. And anytime Dr. Bob came to India, they would connect with it while Dad was in junior college and in college and university. And that was instrumental in getting Dad over to Scotland, to Glasgow Bible Institute, where he could continue his studies in the Bible. And of course, it's just another amazing, you know, I, I can't even say coincidence, because, but it happened to be the year that uh, a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham came to Scotland for the All Scotland Crusade. Oh my goodness, this is staggering. And so Dad volunteered um, in promotion and in counseling at those crusades all over the country of Scotland. And along the way, that's when I guess he caught Dr. Graham's eye. Mm. And before Dr. Graham left, uh, you know, after a couple of months there in Scotland, before Dr. Graham left, he called Dad up to his hotel room and wanted to know more about him. And so Dad told him his story and what he was doing there, that he was there studying the Bible. He came out of this headhunting tribe, and Dr. Graham said, we got to get you to Wheaton. And so he made one phone call, and Dad was admitted to Wheaton College Graduate School of Theology, and that's where he continued his studies. And it was while he was there at Wheaton that he completed the translation of the New Testament into our tribal language. That that is amazing. What 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 is your language like? I mean, is you know some languages are are more picturesque in, you know, instead of a lot of words, it's they're more pictures, word pictures. Mm-hmm. So translating it that way. Yeah, yeah. We are part of the Tibetan, Tibeto-Burman family of languages, and similar to some of the hill tribes in Burma, Thailand, uh, even Vietnam, and parts of South, southern and southwest China, it's a tonal language, as uh. you mentioned. It's very descriptive. They have such a rich vocabulary in terms of describing the things that come through the senses, though not very much in the, of the abstract concepts that we have in English. And I'm not a linguist, but that, that's as I've just gotten to know the language. Right. I realize they've got so many ways of just describing a person as he walks down the, down the lane. And just from the way they describe it, you can completely picture it. And it's so much richer. Wow. Than, than our than the English language in a way where we say, oh, okay, that guy walked down there. They'll say it in a way that it's just like, well, you can see him, you can just picture the look in the, you know, the, on his right. face and everything as they, as they say it. So it's a wonderful language. And, um, you know, that's just am- what's amazing I want to come back to is, you know, you could only see... You, can't help but see God's plan and His hand and, and His providence in all of this. Mm-hmm. Who would you know if it was a you know major corporation planning to market something to the Indian people? Where would they start? They would start in the capital in the big urban areas and let it trickle out to the villages and rural areas. But instead, God chose to plant the seed of His gospel 
in this tiny remote mountain village, and then from there it would flow out. And here it was a practically illiterate tribe, but that's where he said, no, this is where I'm going to start this chapter of my story all over again. And so, you know, as I have reflected back on this, especially as we celebrated as a tribe the gospel centenary, the 100th anniversary of the gospel coming to our people, have just been overwhelmed realizing how God's hand, his divine plan has been in all of this. You know, to start with the gospel being brought to that village, my grandfather's village, and for it to flow out from there through my grandfather and then my father, and through the ministry now, as you mentioned earlier, to over 120 countries around the world. It's just staggering. It is truly amazing, and it's so like God, you know, when Jesus picked the disciples, you know, it's so, it would be so like God to pick these remote people that no one really knew anything about or even maybe cared about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He didn't pick the most educated exactly. or, the, or the richest. Or the, right, he didn't, go to the, he didn't go to the king. Of the, day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of the day, you know, that he chose his own way and said, no, I'm, this is where I'm going to start with, these, with this motley crew of 12 disciples. And it's the same way with us. He yes. just shows, no, this is how I want to reach the people of India and people of the world. We're going to start right here. And I am just so um, honored and overwhelmed, and you know, it drives humbling. me to my knees at yes. times when I, when I think about the legacy and this well, history. We... We have to go to another break, and um, but we're going to come back, and John's going to stay with us the rest of the hour, so make sure that you come back with us. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. I have John Podaity with us today, talking about Bibles for the World. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and we have John Podaity. Um, he's the president of Bible for the World. In he was he was named president for Bible Bibles um, for the World in 2015, and he has also been the vice president for the International Ministries. And he served seven years as executive vice president at Bible for the World in Colorado Springs. And interestingly enough, he also oversees some ministry activities around the world and is also an award-winning filmmaker um, and is very passionate about technologies and sustainable development, helping other nations and bringing the gospel to other nations. And the, um, so, so, John, you and I were talking off air about just your father's story and your grandfather's story. And I was asking you, I said, wow, this would make a good movie. And you told me it has been. Yes, it has, Cynthia. It was made into a movie some years ago called Beyond the Next Mountain. And it's a wonderful story that the filmmakers who worked on it, the writers and directors, producers, put together this amazing story. Um, Well, God had put together an amazing story, but the way they told it is just amazing how God, uh, you know, led my dad especially out of the mountains and through his studies uh, to fulfill this vision, this this what he was dedicated for, to translate the Bible into our language, and uh, it's a tremendous movie. It's it's ex- really inspiring, and 
we hope that I hope that listeners will look for it. I think it's available on Netflix and Pure Flix and some of those really? ways online, and wow. and you can also order it uh, order it online. And it's called and say what it's, it, say what it's called one more time. It's called Beyond the Next Mountain, and so it's a story of just how God continues to lead from the next mountain to the next to the next. <laughs> And it's so fitting for our people from Northeast India, from the hills. We're in the foothills of the Himalayas. And so when we travel, it's always measured by how many mountains away we have to travel. And uh, so, well, you, tremendous yes, story. You, you said that your father yeah. had to, when he was five, he went to school at 10, and he had to walk 95 miles. It took him five days. Yes, he walked. Yes, he walked 96 miles, five days, slept out in, under the jungle, <laughs> in the jungle at night and in our jungles in those days we had elephants and tigers and bears my goodness and pythons <laughs> yes. all kinds of things yeah oh my goodness so how when was the movie made movie was made back in the early 80s but it continues to be it's kind of it's become a classic i know some of the ministries mission organizations use it in different ways as encouragement as an instructional for uh movie for their missionaries before they go on the mission field. Um, there's just a number of different wonderful aspects, because the missionary who brought the gospel to our people, after he got kicked out of India, he almost lost touch completely with what was going on. But when Dad came to Wheaton College, he was able to reconnect with him and share with him how our tribe had been completely evangelized, and how there were churches in all the villages, and how the people had started, uh, you know, education and all these different things of development and and sponsoring missionaries supporting missionaries to go to other people groups and that missionary was so blessed and here it was perhaps you know 40 50 That's years yes, later yes. that, he, that he would you know be able to hear of the fruit of his work, you know, the seed that God had used him to plant the seed of the gospel with our people, and here 50 years later and more, he's hearing about the fruit of that effort. Yes, because and that, so that tremendous mission... encouragement for those in mission, ministry and mission work to know that the seed you plant today, you may not see it, but God does not forget it. That's right. And that missionary was only 18 when he came. He was, when he came to our people, he's 22 years old. Wow, that's amazing. When he heard the call for missions, he was about 17 or 18 during the Great Welsh Revival. How how courageous that young man is, as well as your father. It's really... Oh, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's he's our hero collectively (laughs) as a tribe, because we just know that he changed our entire life because he heard God's call and was obedient to it. Well, and I think it's it's also a really good lesson, as now we're coming up to another break here in, a, in about a minute, but another great lesson that this young man at 22 came to your tribe, and that entire head-hunting tribe changed and was evangelized. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, anger the British had at this missionary, and I think it's encouraging for all of us to know that... We don't always see the work that we do, but the enemy is going to always try to make us pay for what we're doing because mm-hmm. he, you know, the enemy of our soul, he hates that God is evangelizing the world. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, exactly. 
come here we are on a break again my goodness well john it's so nice having you with us and we have you next for the rest of the hour so listeners make sure you stay with us and listen to the rest of the story and what he's doing and and that we know how we can pray for him and support him so this is cynthia high with conversations with cynthia Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And we have a wonderful guest today. His name is John Padidi. He's the president and CEO of Bibles for the World. And he is just telling us this amazing story that he went from headhunting tribe to heart hunters. And he really is telling us this entire story about this young British man at 22 came to their village almost now it's been a hundred years and brought the gospel of John and how this has spread throughout all of this region in India and that it also was put made into a movie about his father and it's called Beyond the Next Mountain and it's now pretty much a classic and they use it frequently when they are sending younger missionaries out into different places. And so, John, thank you again so much for being with us this entire hour. I appreciate you taking your time to spend it with us. And so tell us even a little bit more about just how this evangelistic young man, what, what, how this spread. And it's, I think you said it's now been a hundred, it's on a hundred year anniversary. Yes, Cynthia, it's been a joy to be with you here today. You know, the gospel came through that young Welsh missionary. It's been 108 years now since he came and brought the gospel to our people. And we have seen, of course, it spread across our entire tribe within 30 years. Our entire tribe was evangelized. We went from being a completely unreached people group to to a a people group that was 100% evangelized in just That's amazing right there, 100% evangelized. That's amazing. We have a church in every single one of our villages, and not only that, by God's grace, we've been able to start schools, education. We're in such a remote area that the government wasn't going to bring education to our area after India got independence for at least 15, 20 years. Well, when mom and dad heard that, they said, well, we've got to start schools because dad had finished the translation of the Bible. And you know what? The people got to learn to read so they can read God's Word. Exactly. And so mom and dad started schools in over 80 villages. And even to this day, we're running over 40 schools in in a five-state area, some of them up to high school and even junior college level, our flagship school now is 2,800 kids. It's just an amazing sea of students when you go in there. It's just amazing because we're able to run these Christian schools, very decidedly Christian schools. We have daily devotions. Bible memory is part of our curriculum and you know, trying to integrate faith and learning as much as we possibly can within the restrictions that the you know, that are there in information. It's tougher and tougher. But uh, we also have a seminary. And you brought medical, right? There was more medical help then, too. Yes, we've, mom and dad, you know, everything has been driven out of the needs of the people and the opportunities that they provide to be a witness for the gospel. And so mom and dad started a hospital, and by God's grace, it's now 50 
plus years since they started a hospital, and it has grown steadily. It started as a two uh, two rooms with two beds, mud walls, and a thatch roof, and it has grown now into a 70-bed hospital with digital x-ray, with ultrasound, with a computerized laboratory, and you know, new state-of-the-art operating room. God has blessed us in it just immensely, and we're able to use these facilities to reach out with the gospel to the unreached people near us. That's a, that, that's amazing. And now, are your parents, they're both still alive, right? Well, my father passed in late 2015, mm. and God decided it's time to, uh, to promote him and to be with him Absolutely. there in heaven. Absolutely. He gets rewarded. And uh, mom, mom continues to uh, carry on, active in the work here, as well as in India. Now, how often do you go visit where, where all this happened? Uh, I usually travel back a couple of times a year, uh, usually in the fall for an extended October, November, December for an extended time when I travel with my with my wife and young children. We actually just had a baby a week ago today. Oh, congratulations. We now have three. We've got to update, our, update my bio. That's there. right. And oh, that's, that's um, awesome. so we travel back and we base there in India and then move out to the neighboring region, uh, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, Thailand, China, different places around there that we have different uh, ministries, scripture distribution projects going on uh, country by country. So what is, is there, is there oppression from the government in any, like Nepal and Bhutan? What is, is, do you have to be careful? I mean, is it dangerous to be continuing to share the gospel? Well, all of that region is getting more and more restrictive. Uh, India, eight out of the 29 states, I think it is, have now passed anti-conversion laws. Oh, my where goodness. You, it is, the Constitution guarantees freedom of religion, so you can be a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, a Buddhist, whatever it might be. But you cannot, now they're passing laws that you cannot convert from one religion to another. Well, these are obviously directed at the growth of Christianity. They're trying to, to stem the growth of Christianity. And so you can, you know, it's fine if you were born into a Christian family, you could continue to be a Christian, but if you're from a Hindu or Muslim family, you cannot convert to another religion. And so that is how the government is trying to use the letter of the law to 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 just slow down the growth of Christianity, right. which has been growing in India in, in certain pockets and areas, just amazingly as we see the Holy Spirit working. So then people Same that... Same thing is happen, happening in Nepal and some of the other neighboring countries. So, the government's trying to do what it can. So that would mean that people that are Hindu, born Hindu, born Muslim, if they do convert, they can't tell anybody, right? And they can't practice exactly. with other Christians then. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that the, you know, the... The statistics out of India are really hard to mm-hmm. to to know what's going on there because they may have professed faith in Jesus Christ personally or quietly, right. but when the census takers come around, they'll just mark them as Hindu, right? Naturally, because oh, this is a you know Hindu village; they're hundred percent Hindu. We'll just mark everybody's Hindu and get the work done. And so that type of thing happens there. Uh, we're not really sure exactly what the percentage is, though we know India is somewhere between 25 to 3% Christian now. 
And what's amazing is, you know, we have tribes like ours that are 100% mm-hmm. Christian now. We could say 100% evangelized at least. And, and our whole region of Northeast India now is nearly 40% Christian. And we've just seen the gospel move through this area in incredible ways. So that where the national average is 2 to 3%, we're at already at 40% now. So what, what happens if they, if they find out that you actually converted? Um, it depends how the different states are implementing or mm-hmm. monitoring this, but they, um, I mean, I have heard recently of cases where they have actually beaten and imprisoned a pastor for leading um, some people to Christ right. and trying to register their conversion um, so that they would be officially recognized as, as believers. So this type of uh, persecution and oppression, using the the you know the the government machinery mm-hmm. and the authorities and the police and all of that they're using that and this is just the way the enemy is working he's trying to discourage his people it, he's it, trying to discourage the spread of the gospel through and, these and ways. through fear and through through so much fear and oppression it's always the way the enemy does this and it's but God still prevails he still gets through and now it's so exciting hearing that the gospel is spreading the way that it is because we know that that's part of what God is making sure is that every single person alive hears the gospel and gets that choice, and you're doing that. Amen. Amen. We're just <laughs> glad that we can be a part of that, and as we see, as we are in contact with our our friends and our co-workers in different parts of India and Nepal and areas like that, as we see the persecution coming, we just see those that are strong and on fire for the gospel just take an even stronger stand, and they say, you know what, this isn't going to deter us one bit. We're just going to, we're going to ramp up our efforts even stronger. We need to get this message of salvation through Jesus Christ to more villages, to more people who haven't heard before, while we have this opportunity to reach them. That's right. And so they're just getting, they're asking us for more scriptures. Can you provide more? Can you provide it in in audio forms? Um, Can you provide the Jesus film? Different things like this. And we're just trying to do all that we can to work through our partners as we work closely with them and strengthen them in their efforts to to reach out with the gospel. So do you you feel any pressure from the government because they know that you do Bibles for the world and... Is that, does... Well, we go through, you know, scrutiny by the government on our finances, any funds that we send from the U.S. or mm. that come in from out overseas. Um, our, our Indian organization certainly faces that. There's been a number of major ministries and Christian organizations that have been kicked out of India in recent right. times. Uh, by God's grace, we've been able to... Uh, you know, meet all the requirements of the government, continue to do that. It's just something that, you know, as we, we run a very tight ship, and, you know, we're, we're there as a Christian organization involved in education, health care, these charitable activities, and, you know, we're, we just stay true to that, and they can see the results of our efforts that, you know, we have these many children in our schools, and we have, you know, these many people coming right. through and getting medical care. So they like they like what you do but they don't want to, they don't like what you say. <laughs> <laughs> right. But in one way it's like hey we tell them, you know, can you fault us? We're Christians but we're just doing, you know, carrying exactly. this out. We're trying to make our contribution to the growth and development of this nation. That's right. 
And we believe and we're patriotic in India just as you are. And so you can't fault us for being Christians, can you? And some of them really get it and understand it, you know, uh, what we're trying to say and what we're trying to do. And we are trying to contribute to the country. We, Absolutely. We love the country, India. We love the people. We, we want them to grow and develop into all the potential that God has created them with. And, uh, you know. Is it, so, I, what what can we you know we have two minutes left I can't believe it's gone so fast what what can we pray for you about? Well, would would really appreciate the prayers of listeners for the work that we have for our especially with our partners who are working with the persecuted in the persecuted areas that are facing this oppression and you know we just need to pray for strength for them. This is how the enemy works through these different things, to try to discourage them, to try to beat them down. Just pray that they'll be strong in their faith, they'll be grounded in the Word. This is so important, and it's why we run a seminary, it's why we do seminars wherever we do Scripture distribution. Um, And we just want them to be so grounded in the Word that, you know, even if everything is taken away from them, they still got God's Word and can hang on to that. So Mm -hmm. we ask for prayers for them. And, you know, just for wisdom okay, for, and discernment for, for our team as we look at the different opportunities, the different challenges around the world. And we know that wherever there's, a, you know, doors closing and di- difficulties, challenges like this, there's a solution that God has for it. Okay. So we just ask that, you know, we can be open to His solution, not depending on ourselves, but depending on Him to provide provide that wisdom, wow. that discernment okay. to see in the situation and to be able to be a, a light for him in those countries, in those towns, in okay. those villages. Well, thank you, John. We are out of time. And listeners, you heard what the prayer needs are. And John, thank you so much for being on the air and sharing this with us to just encourage us here in America to, we may not be able to go across the world, but we can go across the street. So God bless you in what you do. And if you can stay on the line, I'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Join us next week at 12. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. John?